You are listening to the Real Faith Stories podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Julie, welcome to Real Faith Stories. It's great to have you on the program today. Thank you for having me. It is a privilege and a pleasure to be here with you. I'm really excited to hear about your backstory. You indicated you were an educator for 17 years, and then you made this pretty radical transition that I'd love to dig into. But please share a bit about your backstory and your educational experience. Yes, absolutely. I would say that my background would be categorized by the phrase, comfort is king. Uh-huh. I was very happy with comfort. I I was not much of a risk taker and, and actually operated in a lot of fear in my adolescence and my my schooling. I wasn't big on taking risks. I always took the safe route because it just, it felt safer, felt better mm. to me. And my mom was a second grade teacher and that's what I knew. And I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, but I knew school because I had been in it for so long. And so I went into teaching and I was a fourth grade teacher for nine years. And then I was a librarian, a library media specialist for uh, the rest of my career. So a total of 17 years in the public school. And and interestingly enough, I did uh, my student teaching experience at the end of college and had a really difficult time doing student teaching. The person that I was paired with was just not a good match for me. And at the end of my experience, she told me that I had no business working with people or children and that I would be better off working in a cubicle by myself and not seeing other people. And that just decimated my confidence. It took me two years to get a teaching job because I did not believe in myself. Wow. I can't imagine what that felt like when you were told that. Unbelievable. Well, I was ready to quit right away. And my mom, being a second grade teacher, made me finish out the school year working in her school for six weeks for free just to kind of get back on the horse, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and not be so scared. But I just didn't have confidence standing in front of people. I was terrified to speak to people, would get red in the face if I was called on. So I figured, well, kids are easier. They're not as scary. But yeah, it was an interesting journey. And then as I was teaching fourth grade, I started being this life-giving encourager to my students to not follow in those same pathways of engaging with fear and I would tell them our purpose on this earth is to build each other up, not knock each other down. And so we talked about the building blocks of character. Like as I was learning it myself, I was teaching it to my fourth graders. And I I went through an interesting transition during that time. That's when I came to faith in the Lord. I had gotten hired on. There was only one other new teacher in my district, and she was a very strong believer in Jesus. And she took me under her wing. She became my friend. She started pouring into me. And for four years, we did a weekly Bible study. And I got saturated in this understanding of who Jesus was and how he saw me. And I feel like I went through a radical personality transformation. During that process, I started valuing, even before I 
came to faith in the Lord, I started valuing character traits and and really started diving into that with my students. And I became certified in this program, this character education program, and became the person for my whole school district who was overseeing it. And I would stand up in front of my whole school with a microphone talking about character. (laughs) So somebody who started like petrified, I wouldn't try out for anything because I didn't want people to look at me. I'd be sick on the day that I had to give a speech. So hopefully in school, I could give it to just the teacher, not the whole class. Like I did everything I could to not be the center of attention. And then through this transformation of the Lord grabbing hold of my character and grabbing hold of me, he started to build my confidence and change my own character. So I became almost like the the example for the school. And I'd get up there and I wouldn't turn red and I'd be able to cheer everybody on in this path of transformation in a public school. As you started to connect with the Lord and you came to faith in Christ, obviously this transition began to happen. What were one of the first few inklings of this fear disappearing from your life? What did you experience? I would say what started to happen was I started saying yes to things that would have driven me into sequestering myself. I started saying yes. And even though my yes was still connected to those the deep-seated fear and insecurity that I carried, I still said yes, even though my hands were shaking, even though I'd get sweaty and nervous, even though I didn't know how to figure it out, I still said yes. And some of those things were to say yes to this training in the character program, saying yes to, I I had come to faith in the Lord. And six months later, I was asked to be a leader of a small group of people to help them with studying the Bible. And, And I was like, wait, who me? Six months. I've only been doing this for six months. But I realized, yes, me. Why not me? And I learned that I didn't have to be an expert in anything. I just had to be a few steps ahead of the people that I was talking to. And And that was enough. That was enough. That's such a huge point. You really don't need to be a hundred steps ahead, do you? Just a few. No, just a few. And there's such grace in that process too, because the things that I knew then were wonderful foundational building blocks that have taken me someplace even different. I mean, the things that I was learning then, I would have a different take on it now, but I owned it. And it was really helpful to me and the people around me in that season. And that led me to, I did eight years of leading Bible studies of women. And for three years, I had 17 women that met in my home every week. And we just were able to study the word of God. And I found that it wasn't about me becoming the expert. It was just my curiosity and my yes, Mm. that was useful to help guide other people. When you started saying yes, you said you did it with hands shaking. Oh, yeah. So when you had the opportunities to say yes, was this a decision to say, when something comes my way, I'm just going to say yes? Help me understand that. Well, I had had an experience that I feel like has spoken to me throughout my life. And it was, I went to a country and Western bar and went dancing with a bunch of friends. And for me, I would dance in the corner behind the crowd. I didn't want to be seen. I just, you know, that's how I was in the past. And there was a friend of mine who I didn't know very well. He was, it was a new friend, a brother of a friend of mine. And he was very good at 
line dancing and doing and two-stepping, like doing the, the country two-step. And he came over and kind of picked me out of the crowd. And he led me onto the dance floor with his hand on my back. It gave me such confidence that I knew he was going to lead me in this dance. And I didn't have to have it all figured out. And it gave me such like a flood of joy because I didn't have to be the expert. He was the expert. He was going to show me. I was just going to try it out. And that's something that the Lord reminds me of all the time when there's an opportunity and the trepidation can rise up and I feel the Lord's hand on my back, like, we're going to do this together. I'm going to lead you through this. And I don't have to be the expert. I just get to lean and I get to be led. And I'm a partner in this process. When you're doing the two-step, it's you can't just be like a, a bump on a log. You have to move. And there's such a beautiful partnership. And that's what I've learned that it's not about perfection. It's not about expertise. It's just about a willingness to say yes, even scared hmm. and watch what he will do. Won't he do it? Like, well, won't something amazing be be made of this? And it may be that I didn't do it perfectly, but I had fun trying. I love that picture. I can't imagine how often that has come back into your mind. Very often. It's a beautiful thing because I can lean into that when I have that moment of, you know, because the trepidation will come back. It it tries to rear its ugly head every once in a while and get in those thoughts of, who do you think you are? And then I just wait until I feel that hand on my back. And it always comes. It always comes. I might have to wait a little bit longer, but it's always there. Usually it's me needing to get out of my own way and and just trust, get into that place of trust and faith that he is there and and we're going to do this together. I'm not alone in anything. And I think that's where the fear comes from is when you think you're the only one, you're out there on your own. And to have somebody with you is so significant. And that's the beauty of marriage. That's the beauty of partners and business. You have somebody else to collaborate with. And with the Lord, he's always with us. So we're never alone. And it's just a matter of acknowledging that, recognizing it, turning towards him, and just getting into that mindset of, we're going to do this together. That's so good. One of the key phrases you mentioned was getting out of your own way. And once yeah. you once you're able to do that and receive that peace, you just go. Very true. Very true. What have you found to be the best way to get out of your own way when you're in that space? You know, one thing that I learned as a teacher, when you've got some unruly students, sometimes what you need to do is you need to change your body language. You need to change your position and you stand up and you get into a different proximity. So if a child is misbehaving, they're looking for attention. You just go over and you stand next to them and, and maybe put your hand on their desk or look them in the eye, just say their name. And And I feel like when I am in that place of trepidation or fear, if I change my body posture, if I stand up and move, if I walk, that'll help get some energy flowing into my body. And it, it gets me into a powerful position. Sometimes you just need to stand like stand like Superman, <laughs> hands on your hips, like, I got this, you know, I can do this. So I think that body posture has been a big thing. And that's even a way of connecting with the mindset because the mind renewal is so important. It's so important. And reminding myself who I am, reminding myself who God says I am, um, reminding myself even how other people have said that they've seen me because that's what God does. He uses people to speak into our identity of who he sees us to be, even when we can't see it. And I've had that time and time again, where I've had mentors, I've had leaders, I've had friends who have said, this is who you are. And I'm like, wait, me? 
and they see something that I'm blinded to right now. So leaning into those words, the identity words, the affirmation, the the encouragement from others has been really helpful to me. There was a major transition you made out of teaching into a parachurch organization. Explain what happened that led up to that transition. Yeah, so I, I actually made a significant transition in my professional life where I knew that there was more. And I've been teaching at the same school where people just stayed for a long time. And in in education, you have to keep getting higher levels of education to financially grow. And so I got a master's degree and that shifted me into a different role where I was uh, no longer teaching in the classroom. I was a library media specialist. And in that role, I was in a new environment. Everything was shaken up for me. It was unsettling to the least for somebody who just, you know, loves comfort and loves the known. And so I'm in this new school and just uh, getting to know different people. And there was a coworker who ended up needing to share my office. And I was so resistant because I liked my own personal space. But she came into my office and we just started talking about the Lord. And I would play music and she'd be like, what is that music? And we had an amazing couple years of spiritual growth together. and. It became this wonderful bubble of energy and excitement and encounter and like her being my on-site encouragement. So in that process, I started taking other risks professionally and spiritually. And one of those was I went in to the process of becoming nationally certified as a teacher, which is no easy task. It was very challenging and I accomplished it. And then the next thing was realizing our school climate was very challenging. It was it was a impoverished area. We had a lot of violence in our community, and we had many different cultures that were kind of clashing. And one morning, I just as I was driving to work, I had a forty five minute drive. As I was driving to work, I felt like the Lord was saying, "Why don't you start praying with people at school?" And I was like, "Oh Lord, you can't do that. That separation of church and state, you can't do that. You know that's not allowed." He said, "Why don't you ask permission and don't fear persecution?" And I said, oh, you're funny. Don't fear. I heard that. Okay. So (laughs) ask permission, but don't fear persecution. So I went to my principal and I said to her, I have this idea and I feel like it's from the Lord and I would like to start a prayer group for teachers. Would that be okay? And she said, she just looked at me and she said, you can do it, but you can't advertise it. And I said, really? I can do it? She said, yep, you can do it, but don't advertise it. I said, what does that mean? She said, no marketing, no uh, posters, nothing like that. It's just got to be word of mouth. I was like, okay. So I had my coworker in my office. So I knew the two of us would do it. And I just started mentioning it to people. And so my coworker, Sharon, and I started this little prayer group with the two of us. And within a month and a half, we had 18 people who were coming from other schools that were coming to join us. We found out that our one of our ESL teachers, our English as the second language teachers, actually had his master's of divinity and he was from Costa Rica and he came to America as a missionary. Like we found out all this about different people. I love it. And we had no idea that was that was even available because people just didn't talk about their faith. It was so secret, you know. But we created this little bubble of of a power core within our school. And we were able to pray for the kids who were challenged at home. We were able to pray for the teachers who were struggling. I had teachers who didn't have a faith background that would come up to me and say, hey, you lead that prayer thing, right? 
my mom is having surgery tomorrow. Would you guys do whatever you do for my mom? And we're like, sure. And so we would walk down the hallway and I'd catch eyes with one of the prayer team members. And we'd look at a kid and we'd be like, oh, we're going to pray for that kid. That kid is going to have a great day because <laughs> we're going to power pray. Into that. And so we, we started praying and it was so significant. And by the end of that year, we just had so much transformation in our population. And I was really at the top of my career in that school. Within my district, I was doing trainings. I just had some great opportunities. And I had a a morning where I was driving to school. Those mornings are powerful. The drive time Mm -hmm. can be super powerful because you just have that isolated time to have a conversation with yourself and with the Lord. And I had one of those chats where I was like, God, I just want to, I just want to go to seminary. I just want to like I want to learn more. I want to grow more. I want to know more. And I just felt like he heard me and I got to school. And soon after I got a call from somebody who's a leader in a faith community in the the suburbs of Chicago. And and she said, we're opening up a house of prayer where we are going to be training people in area churches to just strengthen their faith. And we'd like you to consider being a director of it. And it was the exact same day that I had prayed that prayer on my drive. I love it. And and I was like, okay, all right, I'm in. And and it had some some major ramifications because I was step I would have to step out of teaching full time. I would be stepping into a position where I was gonna need to find other sources of income and rely on the Lord for income. And it was also a place where I was gonna have to train adults. And training adults was still a little scary to me because kids were safer. But it was one of those things where sometimes you have the ask. And the answer comes so quickly, you just you just can't say no. You know, it just it felt like an an answer to the prayer came so fast. And she even said, "Do you want to pray about it?" I'm like, "I've been praying all day, and this is the answer." So yes, I said yes. I love how the Lord had been cultivating all of this in your life over the years to this moment, and then boom, yeah. you were ready. And I love how the Lord gives us the prayers to pray, and that He answers them. That's so good. Yeah. And he's so good to give confirmation as well, because after that, I went right away to my principal and I told her what was happening and this opportunity. And she cried and she said, that's so you. That's who you are. That's what you've been doing here at this school since I've been here. That's so you. And I started to go around and tell my story to the people that I knew at school. And every time they're like, that's perfect. That's you. That just fits you. And that was really encouraging to me. I don't feel like my yes was hinged upon their approval, but it was the kindness of God because I love to be encouraged myself. (laughs) I really do. And so to have that encouragement that this is what I was living out and people could see it in me, it made sense. So then you made that transition, Julie, and what happened next? So I stepped into that position in a regional um, location, and I started working with other ministries in the Chicagoland area that were doing conferences. And I just started stepping into these roles of teaching and leading. And it was as if I would learn about a gift, I'd learn about a skill, I'd learn strategies, and I'd teach it to other people. And, And we had a school of ministry where we had About 72, I think it was 72 adults that were enrolled in this five-month school, and I was teaching at that. And it it was one of those things where as soon as you learn something and you really learn it and you adopt it and it becomes part of your, your focus, it becomes part of your language, it becomes part of your heart, then it's something you can pour out and 
encourage other people. And so in that process, I I found myself doing a lot of inner healing for adults and children. I started with children um, where I would sit down with these kids who were learning. They were excellent at their craft of playing an instrument. They were homeschooled kids, but they didn't know how to work together as a team. And so I was working with those kids and then helping them with some of the struggles, interpersonal struggles. And then I'd get a call from their parents saying, well, when can I meet with you? And I'd be like, (laughs) sure, you can come in. And so I started meeting with parents and just developed this opportunity where I could one-on-one encourage and, and strengthen individuals regardless of age. And I just grew in this posture of hearing the Lord for other people, of asking him, God, what do you want me to know about them? How do you see them? What's the thing that they need to know about themselves? How can I breathe life into their journey? How can I partner with you to help them be the best that they could be? And that led me into a whole nother realm of opportunities. Well, let's talk about that. What did that lead you into? Well, the first thing was I was offered a, a, a two, it was a two and a half month school for adults in Tahoe, California. Now, I had never lived out of my state of Illinois. I had even gone to college in Illinois, and I was very happy to be close to home and near the familiar. And this opportunity arose where somebody that I knew was leading a, a mission school in Lake Tahoe, California. But it was that decision of, can I do this? Mm -hmm. Can I pack my car and go? And just a couple months before that, I had gone on a month-long road trip. I had sold my house, my condo, put everything in storage, and I felt like the Lord said, how about a road trip? And I was like, yeah, I don't do that. He's like, <laughs> okay. And then a little bit later, how about a road trip? I'm like, mm, I don't know. And what I did was I took the whole month of December that year and I drove west and I stayed with different people and I did some ministry and I enjoyed the communities of Kansas City, of Denver. And just, I had some friends who live and work at the Grand Canyon and I, I just kind of made my way west. And then I spent 10 days in California and then did the return trip. And that month was very significant because it it showed me that, yes, I can do that. I can drive by myself across country. Mm -hmm. And so when this opportunity five months later was presented to me and they asked if I would come to Tahoe for, for two and a half months, be part of the staff, and there were students that were coming from all over the world to be at this ministry school. And they asked if I would be in charge of helping people with their inner healing, with any kind of struggles that they've had. Because in leadership and ministry, it just happens. There are wounds that occur, whether it's offense or, you know, a disagreement, some sort of a trial that you've experienced. And it's hard to find a safe place to really talk through that. It's important. It's so important to talk through it and to get some healing. And so that was the role that I was offered to be the person who would kind of coach and counsel people through the wounds they were carrying to set them into a a healthier place of freedom. And it was actually one of the easiest yeses I've said, because I was so ready to go live in the mountains and live something completely different than what I had been experiencing. So I said, yes, and I went. It sounds like the prep for that obviously was the Lord saying, hey, let's go on a road trip. Because it seems like he keeps cracking the door open for you to the next level. Yeah. And then this opportunity presents itself. That is so powerful how the Lord has led you through all these doors, just like that. Yes, and he continues to do that. So what happened in Tahoe? 
So in Tahoe, we had all these students from Australia, Norway, France, it, it just was people in, in the United States. And I had these incredible opportunities to help them bridge a gap from where they were. These were people who were coming, needing refreshments. It was like they needed a sabbatical. Just to confirm, these were all people that were in full-time ministry? Yes, they're all people in full-time ministry all over the world. And they came for this experience for two months. And I was able to meet with each one. And I met with them and with one of our staff who was kind of their point person. So I could help that help the staff to even gain these skills of how to stay in a place of connectedness with the Lord, hearing what He has to say, and renewing your identity by aligning with the Word of God and aligning with His voice over your life. As you went through this process in the two-month period, what was one of the biggest consistent challenges that you saw arising in the people that you ministered to at this place? I would say the biggest was the narrative. The narrative that was in their minds, we have this way that our brain seeks confirmation Mm -hmm. of what we think is true. And so you hear a lie spoken over your life, and it may be from when you were a child when somebody said, you're just not smart. You have no hope uh, of, of accomplishing anything. Or or like that person saying to me that I had no business working with children or adults. So then you have this lie that finds a way of trying to take root within you, and then your brain seeks affirmation of that. So it's looking for confirmation. And it, it's almost like it feeds off of that. So every time somebody would reject me or I would perceive rejection, whether they were doing it or not, then that confirmed what I believed to be true. Mm. And it further supported that lie. So I think the biggest thing is going after those lies and really diffusing them from their power. How do you go after those lies? Well, first you got to identify it. What I like to do is I like to get into a place of connectedness with the Lord. And, And it can be an encounter. It can be a space where you've been before. It could be me walking out on, onto the dance floor and Jesus's hand on my back. And from that place of being connected, then it's, you know, Lord, is there a lie that I'm believing? And and it'll come up. It, it'll come to the forefront. So, yeah, you're believing that you're being rejected. Okay. And then I'll speak about that, you know, because there's confession. You confess to the Lord. You tell the truth to the Lord about what it is that you're believing. Yeah, Lord, I believe that I'm being rejected. I experience this over and over and over. What do you want me to know about this? So you go through that confession and and you repent for it. I just feel, I'm sorry about this. I don't want to participate this with this anymore. And then in that place of repentance, the Lord will speak to you and he'll reframe it. So in that encounter, it may look like I'm giving something to the Lord. I'm giving that rejection to him and asking, what does he want to give me in exchange? Because you bring it to him, he takes it to the cross. It goes under the blood of Jesus and mm. it's, it's reframed, it's it's renewed, and then he brings you something new. And in that place of newness is where the treasure is. And then then you receive it. You receive it into you. So that encounter is something I can revisit over and over. And I've had many of those, and, and I've led people through many of those, where you have an encounter that you can step back into and remember that this is what the Lord said to me. This is what He gave to me. This is what He showed to me. This is what He took from me, and this is what He replaced it with. And then also the mind renewal, the scripture, the phrases that you focus your mind on, those can be super powerful in 
reframing and uh, setting your feet on the right path of where you're called to go with that confidence without the roadblocks that have hindered in the past. What would you counsel somebody right now that's listening that they know they've got this sense that something isn't right? I feel I don't have the freedom that I desire. I know there's way more freedom I could be walking in in the Lord. And they're kind of stuck inside their own bottle and they can't read the writing on their own label. What do you do in that space? How do you break out of that? I have found journaling to be incredibly helpful because it gets it out of my head space into something visible. And there's a concept called a brain dump. Or it's also called morning pages. I'm not sure if you're familiar with those things, but it's where you just, it's a constant stream of thought and you just get it out on the paper. And it can be like, you could set a timer or you could do a number of pages, four pages where you just write and you keep writing. You don't even pick the pen up. If you can't think of something to say, you just scribble or you write um, 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 (laughs) until you're ready to say the next thing. But it's getting it out on paper. And I like to do it as a conversation with God because. If I'm doing it in my head space without writing, I find that I have a lot of things that get in the way. The to-do list that I need to write down or the phone calls that I need to make, all these different things. And so when I'm writing and I get rid of all the distractions, my phone is on silent or it's on airplane mode and I'm just writing, I do this continuous stream of thought. And then after I'm done, it just reminds me of the psalmists where you know, the world is evil and they're just crabbing, crabbing, crabbing. But then they turn around, they're like, oh, but Lord, you're so glorious. They always get to that point of like turning it around because they've gotten the junk out. And I think sometimes we just need to let the stuff come out because we compress it, we suppress it. And then it, it becomes this bottled up effect inside of us. So I always recommend to people to just scribe it out, get your pen, get your paper, write it out. And then once you're done, you can go back and you can look for keywords and phrases that are indicating what it is that you're feeling. You're going to have feeling words in there. You're going to notice the hidden emotions that you might not have known because you were so wrapped up in it. So anger might be emerging. You might find sadness. You might find bitterness. So when you find whatever those emotions are that are coming out, I'm feeling this anger. What do I do with it? You know, and, and start that dialogue. So the key here with respect to doing the dump in your journal is don't edit, right? Do not even think of editing. Yeah, don't filter. Mm-hmm. Don't edit. Don't filter. If you feel the need to shred it later, that's fine. You can do that. You don't have to reread it. I found it to be useful because I'm not filtering. It's like it's bypassing my brain. It's just my raw emotions coming out. And that's what I need to get to because it's that raw emotion that I've been hiding. I've been stuffing because I'm trying to please everybody else or I'm trying to do all these other things. And we've got to get to that raw emotion in order to be able to get to that place of biblical confession and repentance. And you have to know what it is. And that's the hardest thing, right? To know what it is. Sometimes it's really difficult. You just know that you got something stuck in your craw and you don't know what it is, but you're just irritated all the time. And how do you get to it? For some people, talking to somebody can be really helpful. For other people, it's better to just do that internal work and write it out. Some people want to exercise it out, but that can be suppressing it further. So I've found that it's really helpful to access it. What's one of the greatest pieces of advice that you've ever received that you tend to pass along to others? Gosh, that's a great question. I would say be true to you. Be true to you. I think in this day and age, it's so 
easy to try to be what everybody else needs you to be or wants you to be, but your own voice matters, your own perspective matters, who you are and the space you occupy matters. And when we compare ourselves to others, they're in a whole different ballgame and they've had a whole set, different set of experiences. And we can easily discount ourselves if we go down that road. It's not worth it. But being true to yourself, you know, just be you and getting to that place of really knowing who am I? Who, who is Julie? And that's the conversation with the Lord. Who do you say I am? I've even paid attention to the, the things that other people often will say about me. And I keep those close at, at hand. I keep those in mind because that's helping to further identify who am I and what's my role, my purpose on this earth? Because I occupy a very important space in this earth that nobody else does because there's nobody who's me. And so if I can just be me in this moment and follow up my yes with my best self, then I'm making the impact on the world that the Lord brought me here to have. So just be you. As we finish up, I'd love for you to pray for our listeners, please. Yes, absolutely. Lord God, we just thank you. We thank you for your individual attention to details within the creation of every person on this earth. Lord, you love them. Whether they know it or not, you love them. And you placed your love inside of them through your unique design. And Lord, I just ask right now that you would unlock, you would begin to unlock the design that you have inside of each person, that you would unlock it to a greater measure, that they would understand why they're here on this earth and who you created them to be uniquely made in the image of God, the Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just thank you that you partner with us. You go with us everywhere we go. We have your partnership. We have your leadership. We have your guidance. We have your love. And so, Lord, I just ask that any person who is listening to this podcast right now, that they would lean into your love right now, that they would lean into your guiding hand, that they would lean into your presence, and they would allow you to whisper in their ear the truth of who you made them to be and the truth of who you want them to move towards being in the future. God, we're on a journey with you, and it's a delightful journey. So I just thank you for who you are. I thank you for who you made us to be. And we just say yes and amen to your purposes and your plans and your guidance in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, and amen. Thank you so much, Julie. What a pleasure to have you on the program today. Thank you, Brian. It's really been a gift. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.